Past research tells us that many of our young, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender patients are at higher risk for health problems, such as depression, substance abuse, and sexually transmitted diseases. We're also learning that the response of a young person's family can trigger or worsen these conditions. How can physicians work with families and patients to create a healthy dynamic as patients begin to express their sexual orientation and gender identity? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Sten Vermund, professor of pediatrics, medicine, obstetrics and gynecology, and preventive medicine, and the Amos Christie Chair of Global Health at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Vermund. My pleasure. Can you start by giving us a little baseline information What percent of the population is lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender? There have been a number of surveys, both in the United States and internationally, and the 1% figure emerges from some research, other studies as high as 3%. So that's the range. What's interesting is how similar that range has been in surveys around the world. In general, at what age would you say that our gay patients tend to declare their sexual orientation? Uh, Well, I think we should distinguish between declaring their sexual orientation in the sense of actually coming out to other people versus feeling that they may be same-sex attracted. And it's highly variable. We have many youth who will state that they felt uh, same-sex attraction as soon as they hit puberty, that they had same-sex attraction even before puberty, and then others who may have conventional heterosexual relations and perceive same-sex attraction later in life. So there is a great deal of heterogeneity. And did you find that this is the same internationally as well? Well, a lot less work has been done in developing countries, but certainly in Europe and in Latin America and in Australia, where more of the work has been done, these do tend to be similar findings. There's often retrospective recognition of same-sex attractions many years beyond uh, the declaration or the uh, self-admission of same-sex attraction. So it makes the research quite a bit more complex. Now, we're talking mostly about when these patients come out to their families about their same-sex attraction. Is there a lag time between when they might come out to their peers before they notify their families? Well, it varies again. Some youth feel much more comfortable sharing this with a friend, and it's not uncommon for people to come out in the U.S. if they go to college and they then recognize same-sex attraction and they declare it to their peer group but do not indicate this back home. I suppose there are some youth who declare it first to parents, but I find that they're much more likely to declare it to a trusted friend before they actually let people at home know. Many youth are quite frightened, obviously, of what responses will be back home. And what is the range of responses that families will have to their adolescents' sexual orientation or gender expression? Well, there's a recent paper published in Pediatrics. The journal is one of the best known to your pediatric readers as one of the flagship journals in the field. And Dr. Caitlin Ryan and her colleagues from San Francisco State University have published a paper on their research in family response to youth declaring their sexual orientation, and they have it called the Family Acceptance Project, or FAP. 
Dr. Ryan is a clinical social work who did her clinical training with children and adolescents. I got to know Dr. Ryan when she was head of AIDS control for the Washington, D.C. Department of Health, and that was back in the late 80s when I was at the NIH. And they did their research with the intention of developing interventions to help families from diverse backgrounds with lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender children. So they identified and measured the health impact of specific behaviors that parents and caregivers use to either express acceptance or rejection of these so-called LGBT children. And they looked at behaviors like trying to change an adolescent sexual orientation or gender identity because many parents think that a tough love can simply change that identity back to heterosexual orientation or also the degree to which they would block access to gay friends or prevent them from going to a gay support group. Those are sort of the rejecting behaviors. And then the welcoming behaviors, accepting behaviors, were to invite a child's gay friend into their home or advocate for their child when someone discriminates against them because they're gay. So this created scales of rejection or acceptance. And I think helping parents and caregivers understand how these behaviors affect an LGBT child's risk or well-being was the basis of the research. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Sten Vermund, Professor of Pediatrics and the Amos Christie Chair of Global Health at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. We're discussing our role as clinicians in working with young lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender patients and their families. Now, what was found as being the most common type of response? Was it accepting, ambivalent, or rejecting reaction from the family? There was actually quite a distribution across a five-point scale that the investigators used from extreme acceptance to extreme rejection and every shade in between. And I think what was most impressive about the findings was that children's health, mental health, and well-being indices, including suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts, depression, anxiety, and HIV risk-taking behavior, all were in a more favorable direction with higher degrees of acceptance. And this might be seen as counterintuitive to many parents or religious leaders who believe that this is sinful and should then be rejected and that this is the best response of a a parent or religious leader. And uh, this is quite prevalent around the United States, as Dr. Ryan and others' research have found. And even the most loving parent will respond in a rejecting fashion if they believe that that's in the best interest of their child. It's analogous, I think, to how many people respond with something that's completely unknown and unfamiliar, and especially if it has a religious connotation as being a sinful activity, then people will naturally discourage that activity. So what we have is a correlation in the pediatrics published research of the degree of acceptance to lower anxiety, depression, and even HIV risk-taking behavior. So that gives us tremendous incentive to educate parents that the more accepting they can be of a child's sexual orientation, the more inclusive they can be in the family dynamics, 
encouraging the child to learn about the ways to stay safe and to not respond with so-called tough love and rejection, which can in its extreme form result in the child running away from home or being rejected from the household. I used to take care of these children who would come to my clinic in New York City when I was practicing pediatrics in that city. And their stories were remarkably similar, abusive homes or rejecting homes. And some of these youth would end up on Times Square turning tricks for a living, being cared for by a highly dysfunctional surrogate family led by a pimp. And those sorts of extreme circumstances are simply the underpinning of many less dramatic circumstances that are happening at family level. So how can a pediatrician be proactive and maybe address a family about some of these issues before they even react to any news that there's a same-sex attraction? Well, my consciousness was raised by reading this article, and I would commend it to any of your listeners. I found it very illuminating because even a small change in the degree of acceptance resulted in improved health outcomes in the children, or I should reword that more epidemiologically, there was an association of small changes in family acceptance with salutary changes in the child's mental health or risk-taking behavior. So there seems to be a correlation. It was a cross-sectional study, so we can't prove cause and effect, but it was very dramatic data. And that gives me a lot of hope because if I have a family that may be well-meaning but has an extremely rejecting attitude towards, say, their gay youth, I may be able to work with that family to accept the youth to a greater degree, even if I don't transform their thinking on the topic overnight. So you can benefit a family considerably by encouraging whatever level of love and acceptance they can have will, we think, translate into benefit for that child. Is there evidence that a physician's counseling of a family can change their way of thinking from rejecting to being more accepting? Well, that's an excellent question, Dr. Shu, because that is the next layer of research that the San Francisco State Group is engaging. And they are in the process of the grant writing and the pilot development and of these intervention strategies because, no, the evidence is not there at the present time, that we can actually change parental behavior and therefore have a salutary impact on the LGBT children or uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender children. And the strategies are going to be including education of the parents, skill building and support strategies, and other forms of guidance. I talked with Dr. Ryan at the Mexico City AIDS meeting where I saw her poster And before her paper was published, that's what made such an impression on me and why I've tracked her work subsequently. And her vignettes of engaging a father who had been in the Marine Corps, had his tattoos to prove it, who had very conventional views of gay activity, going through the educational process with uh, Dr. Ryan's team and ending up in tears because he did not realize that his rejecting behavior was harming his child. And so the whole name, Family Acceptance Project, articulates how the early data suggest youth can be benefited by this and that many, many loving parents are responding in rejecting ways because they think it's the right thing to do. 
So if we can educate these parents to respond in more accepting ways, that may have a much more substantial mental health and even physical health effect on the youth. And what I mean by physical health is the risk-taking behaviors related to HIV and STD acquisition were actually reduced in the youth who had more accepting households. Do you know if there's any research that supports the fact that a pediatrician counseling families either before or during puberty about sexual orientation and gender identity can have a positive impact on some of these health and mental health outcomes? My own reading is just anecdotal. I have not seen systematic demonstration that this will do any good. So that's why I think the research agenda continues to be an vibrant and important one. I think it's plausible. That's what the cross-sectional epidemiologic data suggest. But I think we're going to need the studies to demonstrate this. Are there any resources that you would like to alert our listeners to or where they can go for more information? Well, there is a website of the Family Acceptance Project, which I discovered not long ago, and I think that is a worthwhile resource, so people can Google that, Family Acceptance Project, and it's at SFSU, so San Francisco State University uses that acronym. Dr. Ryan herself has been amenable to being contacted directly, and she gave me permission to use her email address, which is Caitlin, her first name, C-A-I-T-L-I-N, at S-F-S-U dot E-D-U. So what do you think needs to be done next in this arena, in this area? Your earlier question about whether we had enough evidence to suggest that pediatric interventions with parents would actually make a difference. I think that's the area that needs to be pursued. It may be that there are many features of families which lead to them being more accepting. And those features have built a child's self-esteem over a long period of time. If you simply intervene at, let's say, the teenage years, to improve a family's acceptance of a gay youth, that may not be in the pattern of that child's upbringing over many, many years. And it may be that that intervention is too shallow or superficial to do a child much good that late in life. That remains an open question. Can you actually intervene on this topic-specific area, increase acceptance of the child's sexual orientation, and then reduce the child's subsequent risk. That, I think, is an important area for ongoing research. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Sten Vermund. We've been discussing our role as clinicians in working with young lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender patients and their families. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.